hello and welcome to Please Don't Kick Me Out, a podcast about imposter syndrome. My name is Bianca Woolwick and I'm the host. I interview my friends and people that inspire me to figure out if they have the key to life and they feel successful or feel like they don't fit in like I do. Anyway, thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy the episode. to another bonus episode of Please Don't Kick Me Out, another relevant episode to the time. I release these every Friday in conjunction to what's going on in the world. So this one is focusing on education. So it features my friend Liz, who is an educator for elementary in Colorado. And um, it's actually relevant because she, at the time of recording this, wasn't sure where she'd be teaching in the school year. And now she will be virtually teaching um, for the uh, following year. So uh, it's kind of interesting to kind of see where the pandemic is taking the education system, um, how it's affecting higher education, regular education, how it's impacting families um, and homeschooling and all of that situation. So I figured it was relevant and timely. And again, we're still in the middle of a goddamn pandemic. So wear your mask and stay the fuck home. Hey, how's it going? Great, Bianca. I've been really looking forward to this. I know, me as well. Hey to all my listeners, this is Please Don't Kick Me Out, a podcast about imposter syndrome. And the lovely voice you are hearing on the other end of the line is my friend Liz. Liz, would you like to give your elevator pitch, who you are, what you do, etc.? Sure. So I am an elementary teacher and I have had, uh, I have six years of teaching experience and I originally wanted to be a third grade or fourth grade teacher, but the first job I had was actually a kindergarten job and that really made me feel like, oh my gosh, I don't belong here. And with these little kids, I always said, I'll never teach kindergarten. And it turns out that kindergarten was right where I should be. And another crazy thing that I've had, so in the six years that I've been teaching, I've taught at five different schools, and having to search for a new job every single summer did not help boost my self-confidence, and it also did not give me tenure since I was kind of going around different districts. Um, Some of the time it was due to changes in enrollment, but twice I was non-renewed, including this past year, and that just means they don't renew your contract. And I think mostly it's because I'm very outspoken and I have a really hard time getting along with other teacher cliques. I'm kind of like my own, my own person. And it's super weird being a teacher right now. We're on a hiring freeze and everyone keeps asking me, what are we going to do next year? Um, I have no idea. I feel a lot of times like I'm building the plane as I'm flying it, even though I have, you know, more, Um, seniority over some newer teachers. I still feel like every day I'm learning something new and it's kind of a crazy, uh, a a crazy job to have, but I definitely feel like imposter. Awesome. Okay. So that's awesome. Um, So for my listeners, I have known Liz since I was in fifth grade when I had just moved from Minnesota to Colorado. She and I happened to be in Miss Nagy's fifth grade class together. Um, And uh, thanks to social media, we're very blessed. We're very lucky. I've been able to keep up with her life. Um, But when we were talking about imposter syndrome, um, she had reached out to me and said that, you know, it's very prevalent in in teachers and something that I actually 
never really thought about, but in reading and hearing her story and for my listeners, um, we were, we did have a little bit of an audio issue, but we're working on it. Uh, I think that her story is very interesting and beautiful, but it's also hard to kind of conceptualize just how hard it is to be a teacher. Yes, it's really difficult. And I think, especially if you're teaching kindergarten or first grade, people just expect you, you know, to be a babysitter and they ask me, you know, do you play all day? Do you just get to color all day? And people don't realize we're actually, we're testing and all of my kindergartners, they actually have to learn how to read and do math and it's serious business. That, yeah, it is. And um, I think that's something very interesting and poignant is that it's so much, like teachers these days have to do so much more um, to get these children ready for, you know, college and then eventually the workforce. And there's a really beautiful thing with being a teacher and being able to help in those formative years. So I think you're doing um, Oprah's work because I don't believe it doesn't subscribe to God, but you're doing Oprah's work. I really appreciate it. Um, and I really think it's awesome that you found kind of what your niche is and what your calling is. And that to me makes me happy. <laughs> Thank you. It makes me happy too. So, um, in talking about imposter syndrome in this podcast, when I, when you, when we decided that, you know, we'd want to do this episode, um, I kind of was reading your, your answers in here and I was thinking to myself, um, you know, just, this is really interesting. I had never thought about that. Wow. Um, so we'll just hop into the elephant in the room, which is imposter syndrome. And we'll start with the first question, which is, do you feel like you have it all figured out? No, I definitely don't feel like I have it figured out, especially with teaching. Everything changes every few years with teaching. You know, they used to say um, a long time ago that kids just needed to, you know, have invented spelling and then that went away and then it came back again. It's kind of cyclical. So there's lots of professional development, lots of changes, mm -hmm. but I feel like there's a lot that I don't know about myself. I don't know about teaching. A lot of things I don't know about the world in general. And right now, I'm trying to figure out what I want from next year, what I want out of my life. Uh, I thought that I was going to be laid off, but I did just start a tutoring business, which is has been amazing. I have so many clients, I actually have to either turn people away or maybe hire like one or two more teachers. So wow. there's a lot of parents that want help right now. Yeah, that's awesome. And I know for my friends and um, some of my friends that are moms, uh, the homeschooling was never in their wheelhouse and they are struggling. So I think it's awesome that there's going to be resources if people can't, you know, actually do, do, like help. And cause I'm, I know I'm personally terrible about teaching at teaching anything. Uh, I try my hardest, but it's, you know, I, I just, I, I could never be a teacher. I, I really don't know how, some people do it, um, but at the same time, I think that's awesome because there is so much up in the air right now due to COVID and quarantine and all of that, especially as a teacher. Yes, yeah, we, we really don't know what's going on. And, you know, people do ask me, what's gonna happen next year? Do we have to wear masks? How are we gonna stay six feet away? And I'll tell you, we, we really have no idea. <laughs> You're like, I wish, you know what, when you find out, you tell me. That's what exactly. I say. Yeah, it's yeah. very interesting how each individual industry is handling it. But the, my biggest concern is schools because um, I kind of think about like you and I were in high school. We had a, a block schedule and I think we had that in middle school as well. You and I went to fifth 
middle school and high school together. Um, and it, it's almost like I've heard some people that still have schools with very small amounts of children, like a private school in San Diego, they were doing like, a, oh, my kid goes twice this week and three times next week or that kind of stuff, which I don't know if it does them a disservice, um, but it's, it's tough to tell because you don't really know. Yeah, you don't. You don't know what, what's going to happen and people don't know how they're going to plan for next year, but man, more power to moms who are just trying to stick with it and move forward step by step. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so do you, okay, sorry, excuse me. Oh, pause. Uh, do you feel like you fit in or suffer from imposter syndrome in what ways and what does imposter syndrome mean to you? I definitely don't feel like I fit in. I've always kind of felt like I am kind of along the surface and I've always felt really alone. Even if I have friends, mm -hmm. I think what my go-to is to act the opposite way. So if I'm feeling really shy, I'll act really outgoing. If I'm feeling insecure or like I don't have all the answers, I try to come off as if I you know, know a lot of things. And I've done some soul searching recently. And I think you know, sometimes if I'm not getting along with people, it's because I go towards the part of myself that is based on like facts. And I try to just appear like I have everything else um, and that I know everything. It's kind of like armor, mm -hmm. but I definitely, I keep people at an arm's length. And I think, I don't know, I think we've talked about that. And that, is that something that you do as well? I think, um, I think I, for me, Yes and no. Um, I, I also feel like you, I, I can't describe it. I mean, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in therapy. I'm an advocate for therapy, but I, I felt very lonely as a kid. I never really fit in. I had bullies beyond measure. We were just talking about this right before we clicked record that like I was made fun of relentlessly when I moved to Colorado and it was just boys would pick on me. Someone started a rumor that said I stuffed my bra and not to like, not to like be weird or say anything uncomfortable or too much TMI, but Liz and I kind of bonded and connected because we both went through puberty at a very young age. Um, and that no, no one else in our grades were really doing that. And it, and we couldn't help it. It was our bodies, you know, like you can't help the way your body's going to do things. I, you know, I had armpit hair before everyone. I had my period before everyone. I had boobs before everyone. And that made me a target. Is that fair? No. Um, but I think I was just kind of always the weird kid, never really fit in, never really felt like I belonged anywhere I was. And I, to a certain degree, I do keep people at an arm's length. Like I'm an empath, so I'm okay with people coming to me with their problems. I, I, you know, I'm a problem solver. I'm very empathetic. I really try to like understand. I'm very compassionate with people, but I also am overly transparent on my feel on, on certain things. But then I guess you're right. I do kind of, I can kind of throw a shield up um, when things feel like they might not be the best thing to share with just like a random stranger or whatever. So I'm working on it, but I, I definitely can understand like where you're coming from in terms of like imposter syndrome. Um, and I've always kind of felt like, man, I've just never fit in. Like even, like even in college, like I paid to be in a sorority and I still didn't fit in. I mean, like that's just, I think that's life. I think just some people have a harder time and I think like you and I especially do. Yes. Yeah. Well, and I think I, 
I kind of felt my, I, I found my tribe when I started to be a teacher and in college, I was pretty close with, you know, a group of, we had a cohort of elementary education teachers. And I think that's the closest I've come to really, really feeling like I fit in. And I had this idea that, you know, I'd go and I'd do my first teaching job and I would stay there forever. And I would have like a best friend, she'd be my, my best teaching friend and we'd like coordinate outfits and get coffee and drinks and go to concerts and that's never happened and um, the last year was the worst part I felt even worse than middle school I had a group of really clicky teachers you know they were in the kindergarten hallway and I was the extra teacher that changed grades and so I was still in the first grade hallway away from them and I don't know they just wanted to talk about like makeup and clothes and you know, I'm, I'm the kind of teacher, like I'm outside, like on the playground, like rolling around the hill, like sweating in my pants with the kids, getting dirty and running around. So in some ways as a teacher, it's helpful because I can play with the kids and I definitely prefer that kid energy. Mm -hmm. So I don't feel like an imposter when I'm just with kids, but when it comes to like, parents or administration who have to come in, you know, a couple times a year and really evaluate you based on a 30 minute lesson. It, yeah. it can be, it can be pretty intimidating. And, you know, sometimes there's mornings where I'd walk in and have a lot of challenging classroom behaviors. And it's, what am I doing in this room with these 20 little people? And how am I going to make sure that like, not only do they learn everything they need to learn, but that they are, you know, good little humans. Like, are they yeah. going to be nice to each other? Are they going to be kind? So it just feels like a lot of, a lot of pressure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think like, um, that is not, uh, just, uh, coming and teaching. I think that it's kind of industry-wide, um, as I've explored imposter syndrome through different industries, I've noticed that like, that's a common thread. I mean, really like, there's an overwhelming amount of pressure in every single industry, but I mean, even more so in teaching because you've got all of these little lives that you're influencing and it's a lot of pressure. Um, and it's also, you know, for you having to switch schools five times, like, unfortunately that's kind of an, it, it's not normal and it is normal at the same time because I felt like we were always getting new teachers when you and I were growing up. I felt like there was always a new teacher from a different district or whatever every year. Um, so it's, it's interesting that that hasn't really changed since I was in school. It's also interesting, um, you kind of mentioned like not having things in common with like these other younger teachers, um, where they, you know, talk about like, well, like, like to talk about makeup and clothes and that kind of stuff. And I just don't think that you've met someone who teaches in your style yet. And if you did, you would probably both be very, very connected. And so my hope for you is that eventually one day you find that teacher friend. <laughs> but I, I know they're out there because if you're doing it this way, someone else is probably doing it this way as well. I think so. Yeah, I was able to have, I had a teacher mentor and she taught exactly the way I do. And I learned a lot from her and so she made me feel less like an imposter, but mm -hmm. then we, she wasn't my mentor anymore. So. Yeah. Yeah. And so another thing that I was reading in your answer. Um, so to my listeners, um, Liz is a mom as well. So I can, I can almost, if I had to guess, that's probably a disconnect too, because I'm sure those teachers didn't have children. Yes. Uh, so, well, yeah. 
some of they kind of so they had one of them had older children one of them had a teenager um mm -hmm. and then they had younger kids so even if they were younger i don't know their kids were either younger than my kids or older than my kids yeah interesting but you also were talking about how in your in your answer so i'll point it out is that you um finding out your son had dyslexia and and you had to kind of work through that um as a teacher kind of feeling like in a in some ways you kind of had failed him yes yeah it was always pretty interesting because all of my kindergartners and first graders you know as a teacher i'm known for having really high rates of success with my kids. I have really good data and I am able to get my kids to read at a pretty high level. So, you know, having my daughter, she was in gifted and talented. You know, she could always read at really high levels. You know, as soon as she was reading in first grade, she had chapter books. But then my son, it just, you know, just reading with him or taking him to the library or having the love of books that that didn't work for him and so then i started doing you know all the interventions that i know how to do and i started actually working with him as a teacher and to find that he was you know really frustrated that was hard it made me feel like well if i can't succeed with my own son you know what am i going to do with other kids and i came to find out um through just conversations with my husband that he had the same kind of experience in his early years and um, he always thought that maybe he was dyslexic and so really opened up that conversation um, with my son and his school and thought, oh my gosh, like he has dyslexia. His brain is actually working differently and we needed an approach. And so since then it's been better, but we're still kind of struggling. Yeah, it's definitely, especially with like any kind of uh, difference in thinking or the way your brain works being different, it makes teaching very hard. Um, as a kid, for me, I had undiagnosed ADHD. As an adult, I've now been diagnosed with it. I think, I think my parents always knew, um, but I, I was always called disruptive. I was very chatty. I would say very impulsive things and do very impulsive things. And I think at the time, my parents were very afraid. Um, not to say like dyslexia and ADHD are, are, are one and the same or anything, but I had a very difficult time with school. I would, I would love, I loved reading. I was okay at doing my homework, but you could not get me to study. I couldn't study at all. It's just because if it didn't bring me joy as a kid, you know, reading a book, fine, I'll do it. But studying for a test, gosh, I couldn't do it. And I hate, I hated, hated, hated spelling tests. <laughs> I, oh gosh, I remember, I think it was fifth grade. We had those spelling lists we'd take home every week. And I think she put restaurant on it. And I, for the life of me still to this day, like can't spell it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. There, I can't spell, um, definitely. Like it always, it's either like defiantly, like I can't, yeah, definitely. No matter, no matter how many times I spell it, I just, that one I can't get. I also feel like kids these days are so lucky. Like you have spell check, you have autocorrect, you have Siri, you have Alexa, you have Google, you have all of these amazing things. But also I think it's like a double-edged sword at the same time because you have all of this technology. Things are going to be put on autopilot for a lot of children. And so it's concerning, but I really hope that books stay around. I do think that they're a really great medium and there's something to be said about actually physically holding a book and reading it versus on a Kindle. 
Totally. I agree. And, you know, it's really about kids having books in their hands. And that's the key for me that makes me feel really good about teaching is a kid finally picking a book and they see themselves in that book. Um, and if I may for a moment, just plug, uh, both you and I are really about, you know, Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. And I'm super excited that finally in education, kids can see themselves in characters. Yes. We used to have, you know, there were no people of color in the books and you would just see like, it was just little white girls and little white boys and they didn't have any diversity at all. And right now there's a ton of resources for parents and for kids and I'm finally seeing, you know, systemic racism. It starts in schools. Yeah. And if you can change education, then, you know, you're not going to be connected to the prison system anymore. Mm -hmm. I just, I have a lot to say. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Let me take it back to actually um, something that uh, is actually going on. So you're in Colorado. Something that's actually going on in Colorado is um, Spray Their Name, which is a... Um, this, this all relates, I promise, um, which is, was started by Hiero Viega and Detour, who are two black artists in um, the Denver community. I, I'm not quite sure if Hiero is actually from Denver or not, but he helped paint this gorgeous George Floyd mural in downtown. And then they created the Brianna Taylor Museum downtown. And then they started, they sprayed, they, they did one for gun violence. And then they did a teacher who's still alive. She's a, a black teacher in Aurora, making a huge difference in children's lives. And whether you're black, white, or whatever color, it doesn't matter. Teachers are the key to ending systemic racism. They really are because there is something to be said about a teacher teaching that, you know, teaching these things and not pulling the wool over their eyes. And unfortunately, you and I grew up in a very politically correct, very weird climate. Um, we had Reading Rainbow and that kind of stuff, but that really wasn't enough. And it's amazing to me that now children have more tools and more access to things more than ever. And it's great to hear that you're on, you know, you're trying to break those chains. So I really appreciate that. Yes. Yeah. It's a lot of work. And honestly, I think the biggest thing is educators or even parents that you can do, uh, or even, you know, if you're an aunt or if you've, you know, adopted your friend's kids and you know, that's who you love on, it's really just about teaching them empathy. And yes. so empathy is that big word because you don't actually have to teach about racism. If you just teach a kid what it's like to be in someone else's shoes and to have that empathetic response, I think that's really what's missing in a lot of, you know, adults' lives. Maybe they just didn't learn empathy. And if they can see that, they can understand, you know, what it's like to get into a car um, and feel afraid. Um, mm -hmm. If I can go off topic for just a second, I had, so my brother-in-law um, is African-American, he's a black man, and my husband is not, so is my mother-in-law's um, first son, and we were in a car together probably about maybe nine years ago, and he was driving, we were pulled over, and all of a sudden he goes from being very relaxed to he's rigid, he's tense, his whole body shifted, he started to sweat. And he looked terrified. He had his hands, you know, right on the, um, on the wheel. And he was telling me, like, please put your hands up. Don't move. Don't say anything. He was terrified. 
And, you know, luckily, police officer, all he wanted to tell us was that our light was out. But it didn't dawn on me, you know, this, this little white girl to understand, like, I, I understand, why are you afraid? What's going on? And he had to explain to me, like, what it might be, you know, to, to feel that way. And luckily, I'm a, you know, fairly empathetic person. But if, you know, there's anyone out there that is um, racist, I would just like to have them, you know, be in the hot seat for a minute being pulled over. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 incredible how much um, more aware of things are. How much more aware of my privilege I am. How much more aware of what my friends, my black, you know, our black community members, are, you know, black Americans, and even worldwide, what they go through. It's incredible and. Um, 2020 is a is a great year for introspection, but I also feel like it's a great year for change. E even even though a pandemic kind of caused so much havoc on the world, I mean, and you know, everywhere is dealing with it right now. I also think that if we can change the way things are, and not just have our civil rights on paper, and actually change the way that things, like it, it can't just be on paper. It needs to be fully equal. Now. And then we can tackle other other things like children in cages and that kind of stuff. But we have to make sure that our black community is equal. And that is the most important thing right now. I agree. And education, you know, it's a chance to make an even playing field. And, you know, I'll never forget the my third year teaching. I had my first black student. I'm like, why has it taken so long for me to have this? And, you know, he had worked so much harder. He was being raised by a single mom. She was working, you know, night shifts for Budweiser. She'd bring me beer, which was fantastic. <laughs> but, you know, it wasn't even when he came to me. And so, you know, as a teacher, I tutored him for free after school. And I tried to even the playing field. But for so many people that, you know, Colorado is just not very mixed, no. but it's, you know, it's pretty much just white people have, I have to say that, but, you know, places in the United States, they have a chance to, you know, make a change. And I think teaching online during COVID opened people's eyes to realize what teachers do and also to see there's, you know, a fundamental difference between, you know, anyone of privilege, you know, no matter, you know, their race, um, if they have Wi-Fi versus people who don't have Wi-Fi, are they supposed to access online education? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I work, I live, I own a home in a up and coming kind of, uh, district. Uh, well not district, I should say. Uh, I, yes, I should say district actually. Um, it's a town, it's called Lemon Grove. Um, Lemon Grove is, um, the most diverse place I've ever lived. Uh, and also the most humble community I've ever lived in. I feel very connected, but I'm in this group called the Lemon Grove Watch, um, Neighborhood Watch Group. And one of my chief concerns when this pandemic all started, and you, and you made a really great point, is that not everyone has access to Wi-Fi and not everyone has access to an iPad or a Kindle or whatever. So our library ended up actually just giving out um, that kind of stuff. And then I believe 
I want to say Cox maybe, uh, which is an internet cable company. I want to say they gave free, free Wi-Fi. Now I'm not quite sure on the validity of all of that, but I know that there is access. It's just, you have to dig for it, unfortunately. Yes. And we shouldn't make it so hard. Everyone should have everything. I agree. <laughs> Well, let's hop back on topic here um, and kind of go into that feeling of success. Uh, so what does success look like to you and do you feel successful? Sure. So I think success as a teacher can mean a lot of things. So mostly to me, I'm successful if my kids are happy. You know, do they love learning? Are they kind? And when I first started teaching, I really only cared about, I'm ashamed to admit, but I cared about test scores and their reading level. And it took a couple of years to be mature enough to realize it's really about the whole, the whole child. And if they feel successful, I feel successful. But as a person, success is different. I think I was raised um, with a father who was very frugal. Um, you know, he was in poverty for, you know, a lot in his youth. And so to me, he kind of taught me that success is, do you have enough money? And, you know, do you have health insurance? Do you have a nice car? Um, have a house. And I'm lucky enough, I bought my own home when I was 20 years old. Um, I bought it for pretty low. It's worth like, I think three times what it used to be. So, um, you know, I think being raised frugally was kind of helpful, but it also made me feel um, if I had any job insecurity, you know, all those summers where I was looking through jobs, I had so much anxiety, so much depression, um, really feeling, you know, just insecure about myself. And, you know, I think it's wrong to equate money with success, but that's kind of where I, I'm going. Um, but I also, I'm, I believe in education and, you know, my next goal is to get my master's um, in educational leadership with my principal license. And so that, to me, I think that could mean success. So I'm really trying to find other measures of success for me. Um, maybe I'm successful if I'm happy. Like, is that enough just to be happy? Yeah, I think that's beautiful. I think that's awesome. And I ask that question to every single guest and everyone has a different answer. Some have the white picket fence mentality. Other people measure success on being happy and being, you know, self-sufficient. For me, how I'm currently measuring success is am I 100% myself and living my truth and being who I am and, and is my marriage good? Then that's when I feel successful because on paper, um, you know, I am wildly successful in a lot of ways, um, and I, I'm proud of the things that I've accomplished, but I also, success doesn't look that great when you don't love who you are, and so I think that there's a great measure of happiness. I think happiness is, is, should be everyone's goal, just to be the act of being happy and, and content. I love that, and authentic. I like that you brought up authenticity. That's really important to me now. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I, I made a promise to myself when I moved to San Diego that I would be myself 100% because I had the opportunity to do so. In Colorado, like I lived there since I was 10. I lived there till I was 29 years old, 29 and a half years old, actually. And I lived in Denver for nine years post-college. And I feel like when you've lived somewhere for a really long time and you haven't really moved or lived anywhere else, um, 
like even like just you know for example like if 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 you haven't left our tiny town where we went to high school like i i feel like um people already know about you or people kind of know who you are they've seen you grow and change and stuff i had this really beautiful opportunity when i moved to just be myself and see how that felt and so i've been myself pretty authentically for almost almost a year probably a little more than a year and i do have to say that like it, it doesn't come without prickles it it's it's painful when you first are truly yourself and you're and you're speaking your truth um but i'm finding more comfort every day and just kind of accepting who i am and and accepting that i have a voice and that i have a mission here on earth and that i am unique and i and i i, I used to shy away from the things that made me who i am because i felt ashamed because i kept people in my life that didn't appreciate those things and i'm married to someone who lets me be myself which also is equally helpful i love that yeah you guys have an amazing marriage and <laughs> i i just i i feel like yeah, you're very authentic and, you know, as someone who sometimes isn't always authentic or as confident, it's really good to see you, you know, in all of your Disney loving. <laughs> I love <Yeah>. that. <laughs> no, Gosh. I appreciate that. And it's good, you know, as, as far as, you know, extending the compliment back, it's nice that you have a really great partner. It's amazing that you are, you know, you live in authenticity as well, because like you fully lean into the fact that you're in touch with nature and you're, you know, you're, you're a mom and you're teaching your kids these amazing life skills. And, um, I don't know. I just, I admire that a lot about you. And I think that your kids are going to have such a unique perspective. Um, even the ones you're, the ones you're teaching, even your own children are going to have such a unique perspective that a lot of other people aren't going to have. Cause I wish in so many ways I'd been more appreciative of living in near the mountains, but I just felt so out of touch with it. And if anything, I'm like, slightly envious because I'm like, man, that would have been really cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you had um, another guest on your show. She's a librarian from Syracuse that you mm -hmm. live in Denver. And um, it was so funny. I was listening to that episode and she was talking about, you know, you really need to, in order to be yourself, you need to move away. And um, for me, you know, I've never left Colorado. I'm a native. I love it. But I did kind of move away because I left Bull County and moved up to a different county. <laughs> so yeah. even just like moving counties was an, enough because now it's like, instead of, you know, everyone being in one area of Colorado, like all of a sudden I've been, you know, my mind has been opened, you know, to like Fort Collins, which is another really fun city in Colorado and um, just meeting new friends. And um, the big, huge thing for me that really kind of switched, uh, I found a church that I like mm. and I am not, I grew up, you know, believing in God, but hated the idea of Christians, hated the idea of Christianity. And you had shared some of your experiences with <laughs> the mega churches. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Just like so fake and just <laughs> terrible. And so like my gut, I'm like, Oh, like Christians. And I met my husband and he, you know, he loves Jesus, but he also like was super open-minded about things. And so we found a church that fits both of us. Um, it's called Grace Place in Berthoud. It's a small church. And I knew that it was the right place to be because I went in and there were like gay and lesbian couples and like people with tattoos and like the pastors have tattoos and mm -hmm. everyone's just like welcoming and loving. And uh, 
yeah, I just kind of was like, oh, I maybe, maybe a Christian, but Christianity can be used in a lot of really hateful ways, especially, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's different people in the community that are not treated well just because of, you know, like sex differences or, um, you know, maybe that they are, you know, non-binary or choose to dress a certain way. So for me, it's good to, I don't know, the church is something, it's a, it's a good place. And most churches I think are not like that. I think it's a rare thing to find, you know, a church that's open and loving and accepts people and, you know, can make me feel secure. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, but also I think it's uh, the trend we're kind of moving towards is um, a lot of a lot of backlash has ha- kind of happened in uh, Christianity and in the faith community where it's it's caused these people that felt ostracized to actually open up their own parishes and, and their own church and welcome people with open arms. And to me, that is what being a Christian is. Uh, being a Christian is being accepting of others and stuff. So people who vilify that term, I don't agree with it. So I, yeah, I'm very much uh, happy to hear that you found a place and that your children can kind of have their minds opened and or their eyes open to, you know, people of all genders, people of all things. Cause when you're a kid, you don't see color and you definitely don't see sexuality and you just kind of accept things as they are. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing to kind of build on top of those already pre-existing things. So, um, I think we've kind of covered uh, imposter syndrome and in, in its entirety and kind of talking about teaching and stuff. Now I like to move on to my favorite part of the conversation, which is things we're fanatical about and unpopular opinions. Uh, so I will uh, go first. Uh, what is one or a few things you are fanatical about and why? Currently I'm fanatical about Peloton. I've had my Peloton bike for over two years. My Peloton bike um, has not had any issues. I've ridden it over 1,200 times. I'm currently uh, about 100 miles away from a goal that I set to hit the AIDS life cycle during the month of June. Even though I know it happens in a week, uh, as, as, as far as the AIDS life cycle going from San Francisco to Los Angeles, I just felt like 545 miles for the month of June for Pride Month, as well as you know with everything going on right now. That to me felt like a really great goal. But Peloton just came out with a statement um, about all of the things they're going to do. And they're very loud and they're very proud for all equality. They have gay and lesbian and bi um, instructors. They um, have, you know, black instructors and all sorts of other different diverse instructors. um, And they are a zero hate, zero tolerance for hate company. And they took it a step further today by releasing a statement that said that they are going to be donating, you know, X amount of dollars over the next four years. And this is exactly what they were going to be doing to end systemic racism as a company and as a whole. That's amazing. We need more companies that can make promises like that and can step up. And also, uh, you are amazing. You're, can I say the B word? Is that allowed? Yeah, sure. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. You're a boss bitch. That's fantastic. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Love that. Yeah. So what are you currently like fanatical about? What's, what's kind of filling your tank? Yeah. So I have a lot of really weird uh, hobbies. I like beekeeping. I do archery. Um, and then just the typical Colorado, like gardening, health and wellness, hiking, nature. Um, but I am fanatical about TikTok. <laughs> and it started during quarantine. Uh, a teacher friend of mine, she's like, hey, 
if you're, um, if you're kind of bored, she's like, just download the TikTok app. So I downloaded it in March. Um, I actually had COVID in March. Mm, oh gosh. I'm so sorry. Yeah. So I had it for about a month and TikTok, like that was just something that would like make me feel happy. And when I first downloaded it, I thought it was the dumbest app ever. And I just, I really hated it. And like, there's so many people on here that are just like the personification of like everything we hate, but it took a while to like filter and to get the exact for you page that I wanted. And now I have all these amazing teachers and mamas and just wonderful people. Um, so if you haven't tried it yet, you can literally, um, I was thinking of you actually, there's this, um, a group of people that make TikTok about um, finding out that you have ADHD or <laughs> specifically like women that have ADHD. And I somehow also now on the page, um, I have witches on my page, like Christian witches that like plants. Um, so like really specific or, um, I love my bull terrier, I have this white bull terrier dog. So I have a lot of those that are kind of interesting. And I also randomly came up on this page that is about, um, what it's like to be Aspie, um, or like a woman that has Asperger's or, um, autism. And now I'm like, do I have like autism, like a little bit or, so it's kind of interesting. So it can be a self, um, care app as well. It's not just all about dancing and like ridiculous trends. Yeah. I, um, I have taken a break from TikTok. I, I read an article that I wasn't thrilled with. Um, some of, as they are kind of a global app, um, I was concerned that they had been silencing some voices, but I've been told by my friends that that's actually something that they just reversed. Um, as a company, uh, but I do think that TikTok is a great educational tool for a lot of people. Um, and I was just before I deleted it, I actually had a very curated year for you page that was all like you know drag queens and um, drag queens and dog moms and uh, just funny stuff. And so I do believe that there's some good that comes from TikTok. Um, the reasons that I don't use it is just ba based on their data and what they do with the data. Um, but that's just, that's just me being very, um, careful because my husband's in the military. So, uh, I just kind of, I do a lot of reading and then I kind of, you know, one, one ear and out the other, but I also think it is a great tool. And I'm really glad that during quarantine, it's taught people a lot of things. It's given them a hobby. It's, and it's given people a way to pass the time and feel happier, um, while also they're no longer muting Black Lives Matter, and that's a good thing as well. Yes, I agree. Yeah, I, I definitely, I read some of the negatives and kind of balanced it between, like, well, you know, can I use it as a platform? Exactly. And if not, then it's something I need to get rid of. Um, I also believe in digital wellness, so if you're mm -hmm. spending way too much time online, it's really important to get off. And that's something I teach to children as well, you know, making sure that they're outside and they're balancing, you know, very short amounts of time on technology with actually going outside. And, um, oh, if you um, end up not wanting to talk too much about TikTok, my other quick thing that I'm fanatical about is called earthing. And it's really just taking your shoes off and standing on the earth. And it's supposed to like give you enough electrons to 
um, fight off free radicals or damage, and it's supposed to help with like, and anxiety and sleep. And I've been doing it like I typically have to wear shoes at all times because I have sensory issues. But now I'm like going barefoot, and I'm not squeamish about it. I just like go outside. And you'd think for being a nature person that I'd want to stand outside, but I also like have soft feet for some reason. Yeah. So. But earthing is great. I like it. That's really cool. I will have to, I, I can't do it because I have turf in my front and my backyard because uh, I live in San Diego County. <laughs> but um, there is a field behind my house. Equally, probably won't want to put my feet there either because I've seen hawks take mice out of it. <laughs> but oh I think that that's a really beautiful thing. And when I feel really connected is when I have my feet in the sand by like on the beach. It's a very like, beautiful uh, feeling. I feel very calmed by hearing like the waves and I love walking barefoot on the beach. So I can totally understand how earthing would be a thing because that makes a lot of sense actually. Like I feel so, like so much better like after I've gone to Breakers Beach or Ocean Beach or whatever and it's interesting. I never really connected the two but that makes a total amount of sense. Yeah, I I didn't really connect the two either, you know, and growing up, you know, pretty much like a hippy dippy from Boulder, you would think that I would know about it, but it's a pretty recent, like I've always known it's good to take your shoes off and I encourage like my kids to do that, but I didn't, I needed the science. Um, and now <laughs> I'm on a crusade to find a principal that will let me have my kids take their shoes off when they're outside because right now kids have to wear shoes all the time. And so they're always insulated from the ground. And if earthing is so good, then, you know, why is this not being allowed? And, you know, it's like some woo-woo science. They actually have like peer-reviewed um, articles that you can read. And there's, if your viewers are interested, there's um, the earthing documentary. It's free on YouTube. Oh, cool. Um, connect with me after this. Send me the link to that and I will put it in my description. Um, but yeah, I love that. Um, I love I love hearing really like sound scientific things about nature. That makes me feel really happy because yes, I think that that's so important um, as, as, you know, kids, as adults, as whatever, is like just feeling connected to the ground because we are mammals. Um, plants, you know, we are derivative of so many things and, you know, you feel better when you do certain things. And so I'm a strong proponent for that. So I'm going to start earthing. Okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, let's move on to one or a few unpopular opinions you have and why. I always use the example that cantaloupe is trash and no joke, right before we took this call, my husband had gone to this little sandwich shop in San Diego called Krakatoa. We used to live in Golden Hill, which is just outside downtown. And uh, Krakatoa has this amazing ciabatta bread. It's incredible, the sandwiches, and they have this incredible potato salad. But today they didn't have potato salad, so they gave us fruit salad. And you will bet your bottom dollar that I did not, I ate the pineapple, I ate the strawberry, and I did not touch the cantaloupe or the honeydew. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I've actually, I've always known that about you. My mom would make me eat it as a kid. She would put like lime juice on it. She would put salt on it. I hated it. And she would always send it to school with me and I would always throw it away. I know that sounds very wasteful. I apologize to my listeners, but sometimes your parents feed you things that you don't like and then don't listen to you when you don't like them. And it's, it's just, I don't like the flavor, but it's weird because I was talking to my husband about it and I like water. I, 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 
I don't think all melon is trash. I like the flavor of watermelon. There's this beautiful uh, flavor of watermelon sparkling water at Sprouts. I love it. Um, there's also uh, a, a flavor of wild basin, which is a hard seltzer that's made by Oscar Blues, which is a, a company that started, or a beer company that started in Colorado, um, in our hometown. Well, Lions, but whatever. Uh, and they have a melon and basil one, and and it's it, I can handle that flavor. I think it's just the physical cantaloupe itself just has so much PTSD attached to it that I'm like I can't. <laughs> yes. Um, also, cheers for Wild Basin. I love Wild Basin. It's my favorite hard seltzer. I, I have it. My, I love it. I have it in my fridge right now. The blackberry flavor flavor is really good too. Ooh, I, I noticed they had a berry pack, but I was like, ooh, but I know this one's good. So I grabbed the, I grabbed the one next to it. Um, shout out to Crisp in San Diego. They carry both giant mixer packs of Wild Basin. So yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, since we're on beer, I just have to say, I know, you know, Colorado is a big beer company. Um, you know, I even in Berthid, there's two brewing companies in such a small town, but IPA beer is really gross. My husband would agree with you. I, I'm fine with people not being a fan of IPAs. I think it's very, it's very polarizing, but my, my husband's a huge stout person. Like he likes to not be able to see through his beer. So red ales and stouts and imperial stouts and you name it, like he loves it and brown ales and all of that. I like IPAs because I think I like bitter flavors. I'm not really a sweets person, so I never really go for the wheat beers. I never really go for, um, you know, any of the flavored beers. I also like a heftier ABV. If I'm going to drink a beer, I want it to kind of pack a punch. So for me, I've always loved IPAs, um, but I definitely haven't drank as much as, uh, much as I'm as I used to because um, they make my insides tear up, which probably means I have a gluten intolerance or something. And sometimes they really cause me a great amount of heartburn. So it's a labor of love to love them, but I'm okay with that because I hear that opinion a lot. I was laughing because you put in uh, goat yoga. And, oh yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think we can elaborate on that because I've also done goat yoga. Yeah. So Go yoga started to be a trend a couple years ago, and since I live in like half mountain community, half rural farming, there's a lot of goats, and this hippie mama friend of mine invited me to go to goat yoga, which sounded amazing. Like, I love goats. I love yoga. So I thought, goat yoga, that's going to be my jam, but I hated it. Like, the first couple minutes was okay, but I don't know. I, I have glasses, and so I think like the goats like stepping on my head and like stepping my glasses and like getting into my hair. I don't know. It just, it didn't, it didn't work for me. And so yeah. instead of doing yoga, I just like kind of laughed at, like I laughed a lot, but then I was kind of stressed out that something was going to happen. Yeah. Glasses. <laughs> it's interesting because I, I, I went, I took, I signed up for a class uh, to go with my friend, um, Christina and this was in Denver and it was like, I want to say it was 2018. So it was May of 2018, Memorial Day weekend. We signed up for goat yoga and uh, it was just kind of sad because it's like they put them on you for photo purposes and like they're just kind of running around. One of them peed and ate 
peed on my mat. Another one ate, ate on, ate my mat. And I mean, they're just being goats, but like, it was like goats in civic center park downtown, which for my listeners who have never been to Denver, it's like any other capital area where there's, you know, a lot of homeless and vagrants and cigarette butts and trash everywhere. And so it wasn't the most cleanly environment to be doing yoga on in general. And there was a lot of people watching and she had us do the happy baby pose. And I'm like, I don't know if this goat is going to like come and like bonk me on the vajay. So I was like very stressed out. I would be stressed out too. Well, and I also, it's kind of funny. Like I grew up not knowing about farming or animals at all. And I married a man who, you know, his family, they own a farm. And I was pregnant with my son and I had my daughter, she's about maybe two at the time. And my in-laws said, hey, you know, we have three pregnant goats and, you know, they might go into labor. Who knows? Um, they're, they're like, can you please go sit and like check on the goats? So I was student teaching at the time and I remember going by the farm, checking on the goats. And to my shock, all three of the goats were in labor at the same time. Oh no. <laughs> and like they thought that like they could just like, you know, tell me like, here's how you do it. And they're like, you're going to have to stick your hand like all the way up to help baby goat come out and I just I'm uh different now like I'm pretty like hardy and sturdy and like I can build things and fix things and dirt, get dirty but back then I was like I'm I'm not gonna do that so I think I had some memories too of like oh last time I was with goats I had to stick my hand and <laughs> oh. <laughs> that's uh that's incredible that's <laughs> so funny um I used to watch like a lot of like uh big, like, I used to watch a lot of Animal Planet, and I wanted to be a vet for a long time, uh, actually a large animal vet, because they're in short supply in comparison to um, small animal vets, but uh, then I found out that you have to stick your hand up, like, cow's butts and stuff, and I was like, mm, no. <laughs> no, no, thank you. Not for me. I could. Uh, <laughs> Well, awesome. Yeah, I agree on the goat yoga thing. IPAs, that's fine. Whatever. It's, it's you know, I always say you can have your opinion. I don't have to agree with it, but everyone's allowed to have an opinion as long as it doesn't hurt anyone's feelings. Um, so what's making you happy currently in the world? So just trying to stay busy this summer, but I'm also right now, I'm really trying to be more self-sufficient and I started doing a lot of research about like, how can I actually, you know, provide healthy food for my family? And so I'm building a chicken coop with my husband's help. Oh, that's awesome. Right um, he's doing probably most of the labor because he's amazing in, in construction. And I'm also planting a victory garden. Um, if you don't know what a victory garden is, it started during the world war where people would take their own land um, even if they weren't farmers or didn't have any experience, and they would just grow a garden in their backyard. So right now I have all kinds of produce that I'm able to do, and we're building a greenhouse. And the chickens, we're not going to keep them for meat. It's just to be for eggs. So just trying to have some self-sufficiency, that's really making me happy. And I, we've already touched on this a little bit, but... Um, Black Lives Matter, that is making me so happy. And just like what you said earlier, you know, 2020 is the time for change. And, you know, it's time for people to get woke and to, you know, to wake up to what the reality is right now. 
And lastly, the thing making me happy is I live by a beautiful lake and I'm able to just, you know, take a short walk or, you know, sometimes I'm lazy and I drive down to the lake and just walk around and get some nature. So if you're out there and you're not happy, just go outside in nature and five minutes later, you'll feel a lot better. I love that. That's awesome. And I'm excited to kind of watch the victory garden journey because my husband and I literally kill every plant that we see or look at. And I actually finally took the step to like go to an actual plant nursery, which is North Park Nursery, which is in North Park of San Diego. It's amazing. There's succulents everywhere. And we don't get a whole lot of shade. And I think we've kept buying plants that were like, please for the love of God, don't water me so much and please give me shade. And I found out that the reason why things weren't growing or living or whatever was because we didn't have the right soil. Um, So succulents actually thrive in cactus soil. And so you can do things like add sand or, you know, sand into the soil with them, um, but it doesn't work to give them potting soil. And we're learning all of these things. And yet I really hope that my succulents in my backyard are not going to die because they're really pretty. I feel so bad. (laughs) Well, the other thing I recently learned is uh, I'm starting to learn propagation. And so one thing I did was um, go to our local nursery and you can go to like Lowe's or Home Depot. And I asked them, hey, if there's any like stems or leaves that are on the ground, is it okay if I have them to propagate? And they said I could. So I actually ended up Um, It took a while, but I took home all kinds of different succulents and then propagated them. And now I have like 20 different new succulents. Whoa, that's crazy. (laughs) Yes. Yes. That's crazy and awesome. (laughs) Well, we're coming near the end of this conversation, which I so much appreciate you taking the time to speak with me, but I always give my guests the floor at the end to promote anything that they'd like to be like to promote on my podcast. Um, So is there anything you like to promote? Yes, I just want to mention that right now is an amazing time to be politically active. And I think a lot of people who are younger shy away from like politics. You know, you either have people who just like aren't active at all and think that they can't do anything, but it's funny now the youth, they are the ones that are making the progress and making the change. And a couple of things in my mind right now um, are education, of course, Black Lives Matter, and also climate change. You know, the, it's the younger generation that are really coming out speaking against these things. And so no matter, you know, what you believe in or where your heart is at, just know that all it takes is one person to make that change. And it's also a place to be able to find your tribe. If you're politically active, you're surrounded with people that have the same heart and the same feelings as you. So you can go out and you can find them. And who knows, maybe if you find your tribe, you'll feel less of an imposter. <laughs> I love that. Well, thank you, Liz, so much for, um, you know, taking the time to be on my podcast, uh, which is Please Don't Kick Me Out, a podcast about imposter syndrome. And to my listeners, uh, if you like what you hear, please give us a little rating. We are, avail- we are available everywhere you get your pods, but it's because of everyone's support that I'm able to do what I'm doing and share wonderful voices like Liz, who's making an extreme change in her community and Colorado and education. Um, and I really appreciated talking to you today. 
I really loved it. It was so much fun to catch up with Bianca, and I am so thankful that you've forgiven me for being such a jerk when we were younger. <laughs> now, now I know better. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Before we leave, I just have to say to my listeners, Liz and I have known each other since fifth grade. Okay. So we've seen each other at the worst of the worst. We both dated this person in high school. We were both kind of garbage trash monsters. And honestly, I'm just proud of who we've become as people. And I realize that everyone's going through a different struggle. Like we're all going through weird shit. And I'm just appreciative to have you in my life, dude. So thank you so much. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yes. No, of course. It's all about empathy. So (laughs) just give our past selves lots of empathy. It was so great to talk to you. (laughs) All right. Well, let's speak later. Thanks. Yep. Bye. Hey listeners, I wanted to share a special promotion for you from Dash of Pep. Dash of Pep is a clothing boutique that offers non-binary clothing that has fun prints that support mental health and empowering you to be your best self. In this pandemic, it is great to shop small and support small businesses like Dash of Pep. More than 50% of my wardrobe is from her adorable store. Robin at Dash of Pep has graciously given me a promo code for you to use at checkout. Use PDKMO to receive 15% off your order. Again, that is www.dash of pep.com and you can enter p-d-k-m-o at checkout to receive 15% off your order. This has been Please Don't Kick Me Out, a podcast about imposter syndrome. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, like, comment, share, tell a friend. You know, that's how I'm going to keep these stories going. Also, if you want to be a podcast guest, you can reach out to me at pdkmopodcast at gmail.com and we can get it set up. Thanks everyone for your continued support. And I look forward to, you know, connecting with you again next Monday.